Good morning, everybody. Stand this morning to give the Lord praise. Maybe the heat's got everybody down, but that's all right. We're going to move on into Sunday school and, and dig into this word and to see what God has for us. And there'll be some more coming in pretty quick. But it's always good to be in God's house with a willing heart, ready to learn the word. And it's just good to be here. So, well, Sean, would you pray over this morning's lessons? Lord, we thank you for today. We give you praise, honor, and glory. We ask for your Holy Spirit to just be loosened within this building, within the hearts and minds of everyone here, and the hearts and minds of everyone who comes in after us, Father. We pray for your word to be brought forth by every one of the teachers, Lord, that it touch and minister to each and every one of us, that it stick into our hearts, that we use it to go throughout this day, and that we use it to do all things through you in the days to come, Father. We thank you for all things. We give you praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Good morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning. Good morning. We're on page 31 in our study guides, July 19th. Now, there have been some lessons that we've covered. I don't know, I guess it may be kind of hinted around. I really like this lesson this morning. And not that I don't like other lessons, but I like this lesson. I like this lesson because it approaches uh, a, uh, a subject, a topic, um, maybe even considerably a stereotype uh, for the Christian living experience. And so the title of the lesson, as you'll, you'll notice, is The Bible in the Marketplace. And immediately you're like, marketplace? <laughs> that, that terminology is different for everybody now, especially since we're online and it seems like most of our lives, you mentioned marketplace, that might be something you might think of, you know, online. But actually what it's talking about is business and how you how your dealings are in business. Uh, it says that business performed within biblical boundaries invites God's blessings. Key verse, 2 Corinthians uh, 9 and 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. So, We'll cover that part here in a minute, but 2 Corinthians 9, 8 is basically saying that, that God's desire is to bless you in these areas. He said, I want to do this. I want to give to you. I want things to work out for you. I want, I want uh, your business to be good and whatever that business is, and we'll cover that here in a minute. Uh, introducing the study, says, money is often a difficult, even controversial topic. Well, now you, you get the introduction immediately from the very first sentence you see the word money. And this is the reason I like this lesson because I think that's something that needs to be talked about in church because there is a lot of stigmatism in church arenas when it comes to money because I feel, this is just my opinion, I feel that that topic is one of those things that when it's spoken of or mentioned, it's like, look, I don't mind coming to church. I don't mind listening to the messages. I'll let you tell me that I'm sinning. I'll let you tell me I'm doing this, and I'll let you tell me I'm doing that, but don't tell me how to handle my money. I feel that this is one of those topics. I feel, and, and the reason, if you ever wondered, think about it, I, I, I think, why, why is it, number one, why is it that way? Why is there always an atmosphere of, and you got to, hey, from, coming from my perspective, 
as a minister. I minister up front, and I feel atmospheres shift in the service. Pastor and I have talked about it many times. If you're up here, you can feel it. You can sense the shift from one way to the other. You can, sh- you can sense tension. You can sense freedom. When things, you know, things go are, are, are free and, and people are getting blessed, and you can, you can sense, you can feel those things. And not to say that you can't feel it out there, but when you are up front, you're getting, you're getting these things as they flow through. I have not found very many times at all when the topic of money is mentioned that it doesn't start a sense of tension. I've not. It always is kind of like, you know, kind of like, in the spiritual realm, I would, I would imagine it like this, kind of like squirming in your seat a little bit. It's like, you know, where you, where you going with this now? You gonna, you gonna tell me how to, you gonna tell me I need to give more? You gonna tell me I need this? Like, okay, hold, hold on a second. What I think is so interesting about talking about money in church in Western culture is that I think that because of our culture, that we are very protective about that. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's that sometimes we allow it to overstep boundaries and that we protect it dearly. It's like, no, you know, you're not going to tell me how to do that. And I'm not saying that anybody in here is doing that. I'm giving you uh, the reason as to why I like talking about that. And I like talking to other Christians about it, if they're willing to talk about it. When we, when we just have a good open conversation about uh, monies and, and, and how God works. And, and it's something I want to, to lay out before we get started is that I don't, when it comes to monies and it comes to God's blessings... I don't always associate God's blessings to prosperity of, of uh, enormous amounts of money. It's just, there's just no way that's even equatable. And I think that's one of the re- things that even as a, as a Christian that gets us into trouble. And I'm not saying you do this, but I think this is an important point. Is that, you know, when you look at other people and you see, you know, we, we're, we like categories and we like boxes. And so you look at somebody and you say, well... They're making, man, they make a lot of money. God is really blessing them. Right? They're, they're doing really well. God is really blessing them. I wish I could, or maybe someday I could, and it's, it's interesting how we begin to form these boxes and put people in boxes, and we begin to attach and associate God's blessings, or maybe even more blessings, because they have more money. And... That's not the case. And I think it, it would do us good to back up and, and re-look at how God distributes blessings and how that actually shows up and what it looks like. Because it doesn't always show up in the, in the, in the, in the uh, dollar amounts. And um, anytime, I learned this a long time ago. I used, to be, I used to be a financial analyst a long time ago. I sat down with a lot of families, sat down with people that were in financial trouble. I sat down with people that were in, in dire straits, and you could not tell by looking on the outside. It looked fantastic. Great life. Must be great. But then you dive in and you find out that not only the price that is paid to live that life and the work that goes behind it, but also the decisions that were made that were not good that put them in a situation that they would rather not be in. So it's, I don't, it's not equatable. It's not equatable to look at somebody and think, oh, God, is just really just pouring out blessings to them. You might be surprised how many people would actually like to retreat and leave that life. Uh-huh. It's like, well, that doesn't sound right. 
Well, it is. It is. So it's a great lesson. Great lesson to talk about. So money is often a difficult and even controversial topic. So it is uh, important for Christians to explore biblical views on how money is obtained as well as how it is spent. Great stuff. Yes. We've, we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks. Is Okay. Not how I feel, but what does the Bible say about it? Right? It's been a big topic. Okay. Amen. Not not what I think or what I feel, but what does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about money? And I think that's something we have to step back from. We have to kind of take our opinions. We have to set them to the side and say, okay, God, what does your word say about how to handle money? What, what does your word say about prosperity, what that actually looks like? Go ahead. And, and even right there, what you just said, what the Bible says, there, there is a lot of, like, extremely wealthy people in, in the Bible. In the Bible. You know, we can't compare. Right. And, and how's, growing up, sometimes you, when you do without, it's a lot more simple. Mm -hmm. It is. <laughs> you, you, your wanter is huge, but your needers met. Mm -hmm. You know, you. I mean, I, I've been hungry before. Mm -hmm. I understand what you're saying. And I've worn dirty clothes before. Mm -hmm. But when this, the Belly's full, and you got a place to lay your head. Mm -hmm. The simple stuff, right? All that other stuff don't matter, right? Very good, and that, you're absolutely right. And I think a lot of you can relate to, to what Stacy's saying. Um, you know, and, and one another angle of approach to that too is is you know it's something I always talk about, and I've talked about it in here a couple times, and we've had some good conversations outside of these walls about it. Um, is that when you look at the bigger picture as far as on a global scale and, and you know and if I tell you you are literally rich and it doesn't quite compute or calculate because we're like well, there's just no way that that's possible but when you really start breaking it down and looking what other cultures globally, globally that we're, we're, we're absolutely in over our heads with waste. with waste and things and stuff and, and it's just well, it's even changed from when, when I was a kid, you know, growing up in the 80s into the 90s. I mean, there was, a, there was quite a bit of separation, but now there's, I mean, everybody has everything. And, and I hope that you, I, I mean that respectfully, and I know that there are some that don't have everything that they want, but at the same time, as far as the ability to obtain it, we live in a society where if I make a decision and say, I want that. Because of the prosperity that exists in our country, I can go obtain it. Anything that I desire, I can obtain it. That's not the case in, in, in the majority of the world. That is not the case. They, can't, they just cannot do that. But we can here. And so, yeah, I said, uh, you know, I think uh, wealth is subjective. I think that's on a whole different scale. And I think uh, uh, talking about it from a... Uh, in this culture about money is in church and Christianity I think it's great okay um, as we examine the scriptures we find that the Bible offers some practical instruction on this topic in this lesson 
We look at what the Bible says about doing business in and with the unbelieving world around us. Thus, it is an examination of our priorities, our concern for the needy, and our ethics. That's, that's good stuff. A biblical approach to the marketplace brings glory to God and brings a strong testimony to the world of the life change that takes place in those who live for him. Okay, let's read our scriptures this morning, page 32. Genesis 1 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole world, or whole earth. And every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all, the, all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Proverbs 11:24. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another holds undoubted, unduly, but comes to poverty. The generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes how. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. People curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the ones who is willing to sell. <clears throat> who, whoever seeks good finds favor, but evil comes to one who searches for it. Those who trust in their riches will fall, fall but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. If the righteous receive their due on earth, how much more the ungodly and the sinner. Second Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in your, all things at all times, having that you need, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Proverbs 11.1. 1. The Lord tests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. One who oppresses the poor to increase his wealth, and one who gives gift to the rich, both come to poverty. James 5.4. Look, the wages you failed to pay to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Very good. <laughs> Section 1, Biblical Purpose of Business. In the chapter of beginnings, Genesis 1, God gives direction on a practical question. What does the Bible say about how we are to make a living? The answer starts with a good understanding of who humanity is in this created world. 
Having made us uniquely in his image, God gave humanity a measure of authority to rule over the rest of the created world. We are to subdue the earth, Genesis 1, 29-30. This means that we are to steward the resources of creation to glorify its creator. Meaning, make, let's make the best and the most of, of the resources that are in, in, you know, in front of us, and, and, and let's use those to glorify God. Now, the, the obvious result from doing that is going to be economic gain. Uh, this, this goes all the way back to you know, when God had, had promised... Um, uh, a land of milk and honey. He said, uh, a land of, of flowing with, with milk and honey. This is going to be a land that produces for you. Well, not only did it produce for them, but it was the centerpiece of all economics in that area. They were the centerpiece. All trade, uh, all, all kinds of, of things that would come in, that would bring their stuff. There was a bunch of buying, selling, all of that thing. Economics were enormously strong. In that area, which which means what? Well, if, if, if economics are strong, then you have high prosperity and high gains for the people. It just goes hand in hand. I mean, you look back through history and you you start looking at civilizations that that that, um, that when they were prosperous. I mean, only I mean one thing leads right to another. When you start talking about these type of scriptures um, and and how to make a living and subduing and using the things that God and when you gave Him glory. That things prospered. He allowed them to work correctly. And, and, and it's a good thing. He wants you to be prosperous. It, he doesn't want to hold you back. It's, it's never his idea to hold you back. That's not what he wants. And, and so there's a, this is the way that God has dealt with me about this. And, and you know, when we talk about prosperity, uh, let's say on, uh, first of all, from, from the angle of the United States of America, who we've said historically is, is, probably the richest uh, country that's ever been on the face of the planet, most powerful country that's ever been on the face of the planet. And so um, God does not work from the angle, though, of just saying, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you prosperous, but I'm not going to make these other people prosperous. It always hinges on how we serve him. And so you look at other people and you say, well, how did they get that way, though? Why, do, why don't they have some of those things? Well, I mean, look at their country and look at the things they allow and look at the things they do and look at their leaders Look at the, 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 the worship. I mean, we were founded. I mean, this country was really steeped and founded in biblical and godly values. There is not another country out there on the face of the planet that is like that. They're, they're steeped in false gods. And so you wonder, where does the poverty come from? I wonder why. I mean, anytime. Anytime those type I mean, famines, pestilence, and things like that. Now, regardless of where we're going... As a country, that's a whole different story. But if you if you wonder about that and you look at that, a lot of the things that we have good today is because what our forefathers did before us that put things in place that allow us to live the way that we live now. And so, when but when we look at other countries and we look at what's going on there, we wonder, well, why doesn't why why couldn't they have taken the same rules and the economics and everything that we do and we pass it on to them? Why couldn't they? Why wouldn't it work? You, it can't work when your country stands for or worships something other than the one and true God. Well, brother, God don't don't mind you making a profit. He wants mm-hmm. you to make a profit. He does absolutely. But you better not be stingy. That's right. That's you, right. you better not take advantage. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. So if you take advantage of somebody, I cut your profit off. It does. Yeah. 
and, and I would and, and to think that in God's eyes that I had cheated somebody that's regardless if I held the green in my hand or not it's 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 a bad thing that's a good good point okay so um, keep in mind that this command was given before the fall and God saw that this in all creation was very good from the beginning God intended us to be wise stewards of all that he made we are reminded of this in Jeremiah 29, 4-7, when centuries later the nation of Judah was exiled to Babylon for their sin. Despite the fact that they would be in a hostile foreign land hundreds of miles from Judah, God commanded them to continue to have a normal life, planting crops, building families, and even promoting the peace and prosperity of the city. Why? Why though? I mean, remember, they were, they were exiled for what? Sin. They were exiled for sin. There was, there was a, a stretch that was going to have to be taught to the generations of, okay, you, you cannot abandon the, the standards and the oracles of God. But he said, but while you are there, this is what I need you to do. I need you to have as normal life as possible. I need you to plant crops. I need you to build families. I need you to promote peace. I need you to do the things that I've asked you to do. Why, why, would, why would that be an issue? Why not just, well, I mean, seriously though, why not give up? Let it go. Take me in. Do me in. Well, can we agree this morning that living a life for God is enormously important as far as the example to other people? So how, how important would it be to be in a place that doesn't believe what I believe, doesn't practice what I practice, but they get to see me practice good, honest business, Right? They get to see how I handle my monies and what I do with it. There, there, there was, there's a multifaceted, multi-leveled teaching that he was, was telling them and commanding them to do even though they were in slavery. But I want you to continue to do what you do. Continue to do it. Be an example. Be, uh, uh, impact the people around you. As we interact with the marketplace, it is important to recall that we too are called to function as productive members of our society, even if it is hostile toward our faith. Absolutely. So let me ask you uh, a question. I want you guys to kind of weigh in on this. What do you consider hostile? What do you define as hostile to your faith? So as we call the function as productive members of our society, even if it is hostile toward our faith. The reason I'm saying this is, is because there's this push right now. And even though it's, it's not spoken with words, because it said, call to function as productive members of our society. There's this push to cause Christians to be unproductive. You get what I'm saying? They want, they want you to retreat. Okay? Well, the only reason, the only way that I'm going to retreat, though, or I, I should say, the only way that I would retreat is if I felt the temptation and felt the, felt the, the fact that you were being hostile toward me for what I stand for. So, what would you define as being hostile to your faith? I think we have to answer that question. What's hostile to you? When they start taking away your God-given rights. Okay, inalienable rights. That's good. That's that's what I'm looking for right there. What else? It's all around us. Taking down, taking the Bible out of school. Okay. Okay, well, and, and two, we gotta we gotta realize that that 
our, our country being founded on principles, you understand when the role flips that it's not going to look as though they're taking away your Christianity. It's not going to look that way. But the things that we were steeped in, like our monuments and our statues and things that, that point to what we were founded on, well, see, they get, they're getting to pull those down. Uh -huh. Now, you see, they're getting into the roots. You understand when you want to kill something, you go after the root. I'm, I'm being serious here. And so when they're, they're going after those things, what do you, I mean, what did we think that they were, it was going to come in the name of? Because you know it's going to come in the name of something. So in, in this instance, it come in the name of racism, in the name of racism. Now, the majority of Americans, I believe, understand the reality behind it. But we got to understand, though, when I start seeing that kind of stuff happen, I have this realization that you're going after my rights. You say, well, it's just a statue, though. I know what you're doing, though. But it's not. <laughs> it's, yeah. But it's not. It's, not. it's so much deeper. It's so much deeper. There's, there's something really going on here, and you're digging after my roots. Because we can tear down the roots of history and just let's get rid of the history of it. And then we won't, have to, we won't have to worry about that no more. But my life is history, Amen. you know? I've got a lot of experiences, you know? Some of you much older than me. I didn't mean to point you two out. I was just saying that you guys are older and more established. You have more experiences. That's history, good and bad. Good and bad, so good. Well, that's just like when I, when I uh, put the uh, Ten Commandments up in front of the courthouse. They, uh, oh, that was a big shit, though. Yeah, yeah. All over the place. Well, people don't like to be told what they can and can't do. Right. You know, yeah. and, and that was bad because that uh, covered a whole lot of stuff. Sure, it did. Absolutely. It, it made a lot of people really mad about it. Yes, it did. Why would they put that in front of there? Well, that's my courthouse, too. It's mine, too. <laughs> right. You know? And that's what the courts were founded on was right. what was the commandments. The history, yes. You know, to be to be right and be legal. Mm -hmm. And, and, and all to be moral, that. right. Yeah. Very and, good. And they uh, got it sitting over at Mildred where they had not a lot of traffic. So right. They, well, I did get to see that. I watch. I seen that monument for for about a good 10 years. So I, that always would... Uh, I see it all the time. It affected me. So, so we can, I think we, I think you're on the, the same, we're on the same page, you know, when we start looking at it, they're not, the, the angle is not going to be, we're going to come after you Christians, and we're going to just take this away. Now, I think that eventually at some point in time is going to be what happens, yes, but amen. there are steps to lead to that, to soften society, to soften the church up. Get us to accept. Oh, yeah, I guess so. I guess we'll go ahead and go that direction. I, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about it, but I. But if you don't, if you don't think that that's the case, um, just just look past the uh, what what's the word? I'm you know when the magician like a sleight of hand. I guess that's what I'm, I'm thinking of. All the smoke and mirrors. What's going on right now? It's just smoke mirrors to to cast a, a facade of what's really wanting to be done uh -huh. to our country. Okay.
I could go on all day about that. So, as we... Um, House towards faith by seeking peace with others and praying for the world around us, which is exactly what we're supposed to be doing. We open doors of opportunity to demonstrate God's love and grace to a lost world. So there's two angles to that. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. Um, there, there's the uh, one that says by seeking peace with others and praying for the uh, for the world around us, uh, and that's what we're supposed to do as, as God's people. And we, we we've been talking about this in here is you know to to be peaceful between uh, everyone else out there and be peaceful with each other. Yes. Regardless of, of your stance or your ideas or whatever, we, we're at peace with each other because we can't, you cannot properly stand as God's people if you don't have peace with one another. You just can't do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, go ahead, Linda. Uh, for one thing, back in the other chapter, we've got need to watch our children's literature. Oh, that's good. It is so different now. It is. Than it was way back when I started teaching. Yes. Completely different. Yes. Just because he and called I, you out of all the time. It is. Yeah, he called you out. <laughs> it, it sparked my memory. But, I mean, you know, even the story of the crucifixion. Yeah. And the little piece of literature is so different now. Yeah. You know, they don't want to scare them, or, but yet we can show them horrible cartoons. You watch movies, horror movies. You know. Yeah. Yeah. That's so a free for all. It's, it's changed. Yes. Down through the years, it's just, you know. Yeah. There's, there's been a very little information in there, and if you hadn't studied it and you didn't know it, mm-hmm. what it is? Yeah. There's a that there's been a chronic effect that it's had on society, and that's the thing that I, I'm not going to tell you. I'm worried, but I am worried because this is not something what you're seeing today is not something that just disappears because what you're seeing is is you're seeing the chronic effect of that kind of indoctrination and it's had an effect you can't undo that in 12 months or four years under a president or eight years you can't undo that indoctrination it takes generations to get back on track again and that's i mean think about this why why do you why did you think that when the egyptians were freed and then we had we had a, a bit of rebellion on on Moses's part, that he told him he said, a whole generation's going to pass before I let you into the promised land. Think about that, because there was something that needed to die out in that generation before we brought in the new generation that had been prepared and taught obedience to God's word before they entered the promised land. Now think about that. Amen. So. So God even showed us in his word that, that you know, when you're indoctrinated with something, you have an idea about something, it takes time. But it, it has to be nurtured and has to be grown and has to be done the right way. We, we've been, I guess, as a country, we've been going the wrong way for too long. So going the right way. Well, we better enjoy it while we can because the church is not going to be always this way. Right. No, I, yeah, I, I agree. We come to church I agree. and we can worship like we want to. Yep. And we can read the Bible, and we can we can preach what we want to. Yeah. And there's going to be a day it'll be just like when they come and got Jesus. Yeah. And hung him I on agree. the cross. I agree. Or crucified him. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a day when they're going to shut down the churches. Mm-hmm. Now the agree. only way we're going to be able to worship God is in secret. Yep. And in hiding. Now I, I have to agree with you. And it, it's, I, I it's really we're... bad. Yep. And we can fight it all we want to. <laughs> but it's coming. Yeah. Well, I mean, in two, we can pray, and God is going to hear our prayers. Yeah. But He said, 
I like that part where he said, you'll never see my people begging bread. Right. Yeah, and I believe that. That means uh, we'll have a, you know, we'll have a place to always to pray. Not got to work, yeah, and that's always supplied to his people. Um, and along with what Jim's saying, you know, and that's, um, that, when I look at that situation, and some have said, I can't believe that you would, would say that, because I agree with Jim. The, the, the direction that we're going right now is, is it's not going down a, a direction that supports um, the kind of freedom that you and I want. It doesn't support the kind of capitalism. Now, I know that's disturbing to some people, and people, are, they get upset, but here's the thing. I believe that God answers prayer, and he, as long as we are standing in the gap, things get delayed. Things get delayed. The church can stand up and say, I've had enough of this, and it will be delayed. But when we read God's word, there is an inevitable that has to happen in order to bring about the end. You understand that? It has to happen. What generation that happens in is a different story. But whether it's going to happen or not, now, I still believe that's up to the church. The church has to make a decision. Uh, isn't there a place in the Bible where... There was somebody prayed, and and they said that was uh, we didn't answer the prayer because we were hindered by the spirits. That was a yeah. That was um, yeah. It was uh, Daniel. Daniel. Yeah, Pastor Prince of Persia. I was hindered by the yeah. That's what they told him when they got when the angel got there. So we was we was hindered by the Prince of Persia. Indication the prayer changes things. Okay, the spiritual spiritual world. All right, I got to keep moving. Biblical Responsibilities in Business, Section 2. The book of Proverbs is filled with sharp, poetic contrasts that teach us in practical terms the difference between important issues like good versus evil, wisdom versus foolishness, and responsibility versus laziness. That's a good one. <laughs> Take a moment to read through Proverbs 11, 23-31 a couple times. Note what the contrasts teach you about being a righteous God follower. As such, you walk the way that leads to everlasting blessings while rejecting the way of sin and judgment, which is something that God's people just have to know as fundamental. What's interesting to me is that we have had to return to the fundamentals in the day and time that we're living in because many people are confused about what that means. When God said, oh, okay, I said, you're not supposed to sin anymore and you're supposed to serve me. I said this last week and I'll say it again just for the sake of the lesson. We, you... You can't separate the two. You got to have them together, and that our our culture today has taken sin and thrown it to the side, but accepted a loving God. He loves me just the way that I am. We've actually cut it literally in half and just moved the sin factor out of the way, but accepted the loving God that just loves us the way that we are. Is that true? Yes, that is true. He loves you just the way that you are. And the next step is when I follow him, he demands change. That's the way it goes. And I think a lot of people would be blown away if they actually heard it from that angle. It goes, it's still, to me, you're saying going back to fundamentals. The generations that are now becoming people of the leaders yeah yes they're, they're the ones that have grown up in the last 30 years without corporal punishment in schools suing parents divorcing parents right so they're the the rules in their eyes have changed exactly 
So there's not those rules anymore. There's not responsibility no more. So let's just change it all because that's old and it don't work anymore because we see it in a different view now. Our views are different. Sure. No, they're not. Your views might be, but mine's not. Well, and that's where you're saying coming back to foundation. Right, and, and, and let me say this too, and that's what's interesting to me is what, when you said, well, we look, this didn't work. And that's what's funny about even looking back through history. It works and it proved that it worked. You can look at the statistics now and it proves that your new way doesn't work, but they'll still support it right. to the death. It doesn't work. We're all dying from it, but I'm okay with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Really? You know the Bible, you know what's going on. Right. With our world, with our country. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and as I said, you know, we can't, you know, it's, it's something I thought was so interesting, you know, when we you talk to people. People are not, and that's why we have to, we have to be the example on that. But people don't want to hear anymore. They don't even want to talk about it. That used to be one of the great things about living in a, the democratic republic and a democracy was that we would have two sides sit down and actually have a conversation and say okay we're going to talk about this and we'd actually find an answer that's it may look like that's done but it's not it's actually for show now and it's just a massive argument nobody actually comes to a conclusion at all and it's just friction hate and anger Exactly. Right. We were talking about that last Wednesday too, and or actually the last couple of weeks is that you know we've got to come back to the place where the the oracles and the standards of the Bible are non-negotiable, non-negotiable. We're not going to negotiate that. We're not going to vote on whether it's a sin or not. It's a sin. That's all there is to it. One more thing: this whole thing is trying to get the church on the run. Mm -hmm. The church is not supposed to be on the run. The church is supposed to be standing, be planted right. in the name of God in the forefront. So I'm seeing run. Come on. Yep. Why are we running yep. from the devil, basically? Exactly. That is not what we're supposed to be doing. Yep. And, and we're in the fight. Yeah, we are. We're in the fight. And, and I want to add to what Pastor said. When we have got to stand together, you cannot let these opinions and ideas infiltrate the church where we are divided. Because that's the enemy knows. He's like, all right, so we're going to. We're going to put the church on the run, and while we're on the run, if there's any stragglers that want to stand together, we're going to see if we can separate them and get them to stand against each other. Remember that. Using the old tactics, that's always worked. Yeah. That's it. Make them afraid. Absolutely. Good stuff. Okay, let's keep moving. 
Uh, the uh, clear distinction between right and wrong must, uh, must reach far beyond our church lives and permeate how we function in the marketplace, business. Righteousness must not be compromised when we are going about our career pursuits and doing business in the marketplace. Amen. Our motives must be godly centered on eternal pursuits and desires. Okay, Amen. so let's take this and, and, and let me lay this out there kind of like um, kind of we see it in our culture. So it says righteousness must not be compromised when we are going about a career or pursuits. Okay, so the first thing obviously is that we have to have a foundation of righteousness, meaning that we actually have more compass we have a standard of living that's based on God's word. Okay, so we've got that. We've got that part of it. So once we get that, though, we've got to make sure that we don't trade that for gain. Uh, come on. Because we know that the enemy is going to make sure. He's going to say, hey, you can, make, you can make a lot of money doing this or doing that. So he says, our career pursuits and doing business in, in the marketplace, our motives must be godly centered on eternal pursuits and desires. And I love that because... What it says is, is at the end of the day, what am I really here for? What is, where am I really going with all this? And even though it's great to have prosperity here, does all of this even really matter in the grand scheme of everything? And I think those are important questions to ask ourselves. always right okay godly values are to be expressed externally demonstrated in generosity and selflessness in our dealings with others the apostle paul addressed this in second corinthians 9 8 with a reminder that god blesses our work for a purpose far beyond our own prosperity he wants us to abound in every good work okay so i we could approach this from a lot of different angles when it, it says that godly values are to be expressed externally demonstrated in generosity and selflessness in our dealings with others. All right, so there. Stacy. So the the first thing that you're gonna think of, and this is what I always think of, and this is just me, okay? So just make sure that I'm not telling you how it is. I'm telling you from my from my estimation, from what I have seen. When we start talking about the word generosity the first thing that comes to mind is money. Correct. That's the first thing. And you know, I'm a question asker. I'm like, but why is that though? Because there's generosity is really deep and it goes a long ways. Why is it that the first thing that I think about is money? Well, it's because we live in a rich culture. That's why. So for instance, it's, it's, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. When you bless people financially, that's a great thing. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a great thing, blessing people financially. But let's look at the other end of it. Maybe it's almost like a payoff. Here, just take the money and leave me alone. Here, go. I, you're blessed now. Go get what you need. I don't have to mess with you. Just take it and go. You, you see the angle? So we have to be careful when we start defining what generosity is is that, okay, I gave to this person, and I gave to that person, and I give to this person, and I give these things, and well, what did you give? Well, I gave, 
I gave $300. I gave 100 to that person, 100 to that person, 100 to that person. That's fantastic. But what was our motive? Was our motive, did they have something deeper going on? Maybe they needed companionship. Maybe they needed your time. Maybe they needed, maybe they needed some work from you. Maybe money wasn't exactly what they needed, but maybe we like to use money because it is a way that we can retreat and not have to mess with it. I thought, man, I've weighed this. I've thought about this so much when it comes to um, how I'm motivated and how I want to bless. If I'm going to choose to bless somebody and I look at what they need and I'm like, oh, we can solve that. Hold on a second. Here, just go get it. Okay? That's fine. That works. But it's, it's, it's like I was, uh, I was teaching Zale. They worked, some of you may have seen our Facebook post. They was out working with me the other day. Hot, hot weather. And Zale always questions everything. He's like, he reminds me a lot of myself. But he's the version that I, I, I wish you would have hit that right now. Because it's hard to deal with when they're kids. He's like, you know, why do we have to do this? Why, why are we at? I said, listen. I said, you, you are, you're getting, you're getting a gain from this. You're getting, and which I, I make sure I'll give them some money, I pay them. And I said, you're getting paid. This is life. This is what life is all about. You have to, you have to, do these things. And uh, he's a good worker. He gets in there and does it, but he always wants to question everything. So I said, I said, I need to teach you how to do this because you can give a man a fish and you'll feed him for a day, but I need to teach you to fish. I need to teach you what it's like to actually be in the heat and what it's like to actually make it and to have to do it and what it takes to actually go and get those things done. So I'm saying that to say this, your, 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 our, our giving is fantastic, that's great, but it cannot substitute all the other forms of generosity. I don't even know, I don't even know, I'm not 100% sure, and, and don't quote me on this, this is just a thought, I'm just weighing it. I'm not 100% sure it's generosity if we're actually using it to hide behind it. Come on. Just a thought, just a thought. I'm not 100% sure it's generosity if we're actually using it to bail ourselves out from having to do anything else. Just a thought. Okay, we need to move on. Section three. Biblical ethics and business. As a Christian, there are a few. What time is it, by the way? Our clock's broken. 10:51. Okay, we got a little time. As a Christian, there are a few places where your ethics will shine brighter than in the marketplace. This is true. Business. As you read Proverbs 11, 21, 25 through 26, think. Hold on a second. Page is stuck. Think about what these verses teach concerning how to live as a follower of Christ. Be honest. Show compassion. Recognize that prosperity is given to you for a purpose beyond your own pleasure or comfort. Now, that's a good one, but I need to back up before we can actually close in on that. And what I want to back up to is right there at the beginning of, of this chapter when it says that there are a few places where your ethics will shine brighter than the marketplace. And marketplace is being translated this morning as business or your workplace or the place that you are dealing with other people on a continual basis. So... How many of you have think, can think of times you've been in your workplace and you got into those conversations about God? And you got into those conversations about being honest and doing the right thing and, and, and you were spreading the gospel. Even though you might have felt like it was a failure, 
I said, man, I, I tried, but it didn't, nothing happened. But you were there. You were accounted for. You did something. You planted some seed. And so I'm saying that because at the beginning, I talk about the, the temptation that the church has to say of God's people to retreat from everything that's going on. I want to retreat. I want to get out of this. I don't want to mess with this no more. Hold on a second. If you, we pull ourselves out, if we withdraw, then where is the light? It's not there. It's gone. So the, not only will the light be gone, but your effect on society, your effect on the public, it's gone. There is no effect on the public. I've entertained the idea many times about buying a cabin out in the middle of nowhere, disappearing. Who, would, who wouldn't want to do that? Sure, everybody wants to do that. But it's not realistic. I mean, it's not. It's not realistic to think that we can all just disappear from society. I think that the only, I mean, our only real hope is the hope when we get to be with Jesus and, and, uh, and be in heaven and in our eternal home. That's what the, the thing that we would really want the most. And I think our desire to retreat to a cabin is actually connected to that. I think it's interconnected. I think our desire to just like, I want to leave this place and I want to drop this whole thing, but we can't. We have to stay in it. So being honest and showing compassion and recognize that prosperity is given to you for a purpose beyond your own pleasure or comfort. Wow. Let me tell you why that's a deep topic. And, and I've asked myself this question many times because I used to have a, a bar that I would set. It's like, okay, I gotta pay the bills, right? And I'm talking, we're talking money right now, okay? And it goes a lot of different directions. The first one would cover the money part of it. So I'd have this bar, okay, I gotta pay my bills. Once I pay my bills, you get the bills paid, and then if I have any left over, then I will, I'll help somebody else. Okay, it's logical, right? Well then, you get your bills paid, and you get a little extra money, okay? Well, I wanna save that money. Okay, you start saving money. And now, then all of a sudden your life changes. You start making more money. I always say, you know, you always say, if I made more money, then I would help some people, right? Well, then your standard of living changes. And <laughs> your standard of living changes. And this, I'm not knocking having things or doing, I'm not. I'm not knocking that. What I'm saying is, is that where is the line? That's what I'm saying. Where is the line? Where do we actually draw the line and say, okay, I made it. I made it. I'm here. God has supplied my needs. I'm taken care of. And I really want to help somebody else. And then we actually start doing that. I wonder where the line's at because what I have found in myself, and I'm being very raw and I'm being very honest with you this morning. It's kind of hard for me to be this way. But I have found that if you allow it to, there is no line. There's no line. It doesn't exist. You'll make that extra, and then you'll go right to the next step. And before you know it, you are working yourself into the ground to accomplish something that doesn't even exist. It's kind of weird. It's, it's odd. How did we get there? I mean, how in the world did I get into a place where, I mean, I had some, I mean, here, I down here, I was barely eating. And then you, get, then you go and you're, you're doing things that are different and, and your whole life's changed and then you're looking at it from a different angle. And if you do not call yourself out and say, you got to stop that, there is no line. You'll, you'll go as far as it can take you. 
And I have, I have no problem whatsoever with saving money. I think it's fantastic. You need to save some money. You need to put some money back. But if you're not careful, you'll notice that everything you do is only for you and you alone. And so that, that's where I got to call myself out and say, hold, hold, hold on a second now. He said, but Tanner, you got five kids to take care of. Yeah, I got five kids to take care of. You're right. And it's, it's difficult at times. But when do, we, when do we finally say that's enough? And we, try, we, we help somebody else. Maybe help somebody with your time. But I ain't got time. I, when, when will you ever have it? When will you ever have it? You're only getting 24 hours. They don't grow days anymore. <laughs> There's only 24 hours in this day. So for all of you like me that say it'll be better later, it won't. It won't. Well, I'm going to get to it. I realize why that I'm not rich. <laughs> you know, I have millions. Right. I give up on the first million. That's another story <laughs> for another time. <laughs> I couldn't handle it. Sure. How much money have I had in my life? One, event, one time in my life I had $20,000 in payment. Right. By the time I got through paying taxes, stuff on my head. Anyway, I didn't do what I was supposed to do with it. I, I should have put it in, a, in an NRA or something, you know. I didn't know about it. NRA is good. IRA would have been better. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, uh, <laughs> I didn't know nothing about it. Sure, I didn't know sure. going to charge me a 20% penalty. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, what I was going to say, I, I had a good friend, and he's gone now, Brother Scribner. I don't know how many times man tried to give me money. He'd try to give me a hundred dollars. He, 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 you know, had all this going on and stuff. And man, was sick and, and you know, and and was having trouble with the car and and stuff, which is my own fault because I shouldn't have went and bought that car. So, you know, I didn't need it. But anyhow, no story. Uh, <laughs> he he tried and tried. He, he you know he'd hear us talking, you know, between ourselves and stuff, and he he'd say. Yeah, he just pull it out of his pocket. Here, I'll give you hundred several times. Mm -hmm. I said, "No, brother Scribner, I don't need it." Yeah. He said, "What do you mean you don't need?" It? I said, "I got money in my pocket." I said, "Now, if I needed it, I'd take it." Right. Well, it went on there days, time after time after time, I wouldn't take it. And so finally, he come up. He said, "God told me to give you fifty dollars." I said, "We'll give it here." <laughs> <laughs> I said, "I'll take it." I'll, I'll take it. it. <laughs> That's good. All right, guys, let's finish up. And, and I, as I said at the beginning, when we start talking about money, our, our, our wired-in emotion is to be uncomfortable, especially in a church setting, because a lot of times people don't like talking about money or you trying to, you know, hearing a minister, try to, you, you trying to tell me what I need to do with my money. I'm not. I'm just opening up the Word, and we're looking at what the Word says about our money in short, God has called you, I'm sorry, and don't let your treatment of a person be driven by what he or she might be able to do or not do for you. Prophetism. In short, God has called his people to live righteously, practice love, and reject injustice. Such virtues must be evident in how we conduct ourselves in the marketplace as well as church. The danger of compromise is especially seen in James 5, 1 through 4, warning those who would use wealth and the power that accompanies it to act selfishly and exploit the poor. Injustice and greed are age-old problems. And, and let me say this, greed is on a lot of different levels. Come on. You can be greedy for a lot of stuff. You don't got to have a million dollars to be a greedy person. Yeah. 
You just got to not want to give what you got. That's greedy. Can I testify? In just a second. Let me finish. As we negotiate injustice and greed, our age-old problems, as we negotiate our way through the marketplace, God calls us to instead to live as a shining testimony to his kingdom. All right, so I said a lot of stuff this morning, guys, and, and I, I wish we had uh, a little bit more time to dig on some of these heavy topics, but I hope that you learned something from this because there's a lot to learn from God's word when it comes to money, and I know it makes a lot of us uncomfortable and to talk about those things, but I think they need to be talked about. I love you guys. God bless you. Uh, go right ahead. Uh, uh, when Rhonda had her hip surgery, well, this was when I, you know, I stopped, we was talking about it over there, and he was trying to give me this money. Uh, but anyway, uh, went through the hip surgery, and, and uh, I said, well, we need $50. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I paid it. Reluctantly, really. But I paid it. And uh, I, I didn't know why they wouldn't give me a receipt. But you know what? Through all of that, the hip surgery will cost us for fifty dollars. Wow! Nice. Y'all provided thirty thousand dollars worth of surgery, and it's cost fifty dollars. Coming out that fifty bucks. You believe that? That's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Thank yeah. you guys. Appreciate it. I'm still